Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 10th of June. I'm Tom Tilley, and the idea that COVID-19 came from the Wuhan lab was dismissed by many as a crazy conspiracy theory. But in today's briefing, you'll find out why this theory is getting more traction. So there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that points to an incident unfolding at that facility. Investigating the Wuhan lab theory on today's briefing, our first Jan Fran is here for today's headlines. Hello, Tom. Yes, urgent investigations are currently underway in two states, Queensland and New South Wales, after a Victorian woman with COVID escaped Melbourne's lockdown to travel to the Sunshine State. A couple that have come from Victoria, when Victoria's in a lockdown, all the aspects of how that's occurred, including what's happened in the other states, we need to establish what's happened there. The reminder is out there for everybody, make sure you know what your obligations are when you're leaving your state under those sort of restrictions. That's Queensland Police Deputy Commissioner Steve Golshuski speaking there. Authorities in Queensland and New South Wales are tracing contacts from multiple possible exposure sites after the woman and her husband stopped at several regional towns Mm. in both states, suggests they had small bladders. They stopped in quite a lot of places before they got to the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, well, the big towns are, if you're in New South Wales, Forbes, Gillenbard, Dubbo, Moree. In Queensland, it's Gundawindi, Toowoomba, Sunny Coast. Um, But there have been a number of restaurants, bars, cafes, and as you say, petrol stations for potentially small bladders. We don't want to speculate too much. you know, we've been encouraged to sort of spend money in Australia, Mm. get out and about, and that's what they did. Well, I mean, they left Melbourne when it was in lockdown, though, Mm. so that was the problem. Um, That happened at the beginning of the month, and the woman later tested positive after she arrived to stay with family in Queensland, so they absolutely should not have left the state. It was considered a hot spot. Queensland's Chief Health Officer, Jeanette Young, says it's likely that she was infectious for the entirety of her journey, and that happened in early June. Well, she did develop some symptoms on the 3rd, So we think probably back to the first, but that's all being clarified at the moment. The woman's husband is in hospital uh, awaiting his test results. Uh, He's in isolation in case he tests positive. Yeah, meanwhile, the New Zealand government um, has also warned that there will be some serious consequences for people who breach its travel bubble rules. Um, This is after three Melbourne residents were caught arriving on a flight from Sydney. So they drove up to Sydney and they flew from Sydney to NZ because, of course, Victoria is considered a hotspot. They've been put into quarantine. They were stopped at the border and they were put into managed isolation. So that demonstrates that even when uh, we have people who are making a deliberate attempt to get through, that will be picked up. They were going for a funeral, which makes it a pretty sad story. It does make it a pretty sad story, but unfortunately there's, there's no leeway here. It doesn't really matter why you're going. You can't leave Victoria if it's considered a hot spot. And New South Wales has thrashed Queensland in the first round of the State of Origin. Uh, the score was 50-6. to six. It's the Blues' biggest ever win. Woo! I don't know anything about the State of Origin, but even I know that that's a massive win. 50-6. to six. Mm. We knew we were up against a good side tonight. We've got a lot of improvement left in us. That was a really disappointing effort. And we had the luxury of a game coming up here to Queensland, and we just didn't entertain that at all. That's Maroons captain uh, Daly Cherry Evans. So the match was in Townsville. This is the one that was supposed to be in Melbourne, but mm. couldn't be played because of... The lockdown in Queensland weren't able to capitalise. Looks like the um, the Bluesbacks really loved that hot weather and were able to outrun them. A player called Tom Trebojevic was the standout for New South Wales. He scored three tries. New South Wales are pretty excited about this because there's still a lot of hurt from the years gone by. Over the last 15 years, uh, Queensland have won the series all but three times. Oh, okay. Three out of 15, New South Wales have won in the last 15 years. And they've won this massive game in 
Queensland, so not even on the on their like in enemy home turf. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, Japan has backed Australia in its trade dispute with China, and it's promised to take a stand against economic coercion. These comments were made in a joint statement following a virtual meeting between Australian and Japanese foreign and defence ministers. Yes, it's also marked the first time that both sides have recognised Taiwan as a key potential flashpoint in the global conflict. Now, both parties say that they wanted a quote-unquote peaceful resolution of cross-strait issues. Yeah, so this is Australia really um, getting Japan to agree to stand up to China. Yeah, this is Japan's a very strategic ally for Australia. So it's our second largest trading partner after China. About 12% of our exports go to Japan. South Korea's next. I wouldn't be surprised if Scott Morrison's um, in the ear of the South Korean leader as well, trying to just, as you say, bolster support for Australia in its ongoing uh, dispute with China, which has deteriorated rapidly. Yeah, and I don't think this will help, to be honest, going to one of their biggest neighbours and sort of trying to talk them into standing up to China. Don't no. imagine China will love that. Well, there's a lot of things that China doesn't love, but there's a lot of things that Australia feels that it has to do. Um, the Japanese Prime Minister, when he came into power actually last year, Scott Morrison was the first person that he called. There's some goodwill there between the two countries. Prince Harry's hit out at the BBC over claims he didn't ask the Queen's permission before naming his daughter Lilibet. Well, he has reportedly now threatened the broadcaster with legal action because the broadcaster reported claims, and I repeat, claims that the Queen wasn't asked for permission to use the name, though a spokesperson for the couple overnight refuted the story entirely. He said that Harry had spoken to his family before he revealed his daughter's name to the public. Um, He said that the Queen was actually the first person that Harry called. And Melbourne comes out of lockdown at 11.59 tonight, which is exciting. Um, But the bad news, and this sort of follows up from our discussion in yesterday's briefing about, you know, the future of Melbourne, um, it's slumped in the livability index from The Economist. Yeah, it has. Look, it's spent years at the top of the table, right? This is compiled by, as you say, The Economist. And more recently, it's been going head to head with Vienna, which is the capital of Austria, Um, It did drop to ninth place in the rankings, which were released just yesterday. Auckland took out the top spot. But I do just want to acknowledge Adelaide, third most livable city in the world. Yeah, huge news for Adelaide. So this is not a bad news story. This is actually a good news story for our friends in Adelaide. Well, Australia's, you know, got lots of cities right up there. So Yeah, Perth was sixth. Brisbane was ninth. I think even Sydney might have been 11th as well. It dropped from third as well. I think The Economist is, um, you know, a bunch of English people that want to live in Australia, basically. <laughs> they yeah. just find out of a which, which Antipodean city they want to live in. Look, so- we don't put too much into this unless we're coming first, second or third, right? Like, unless you're we from Melbourne. Care. Unless you're from Melbourne. Well, they rank about 140 cities around the world, so it's not all of them. And they look at things like stability, healthcare, culture and environment, education, and infrastructure, and of course, they have taken into account the events of 2020, and they did hit Melbourne hard. Yeah, so Melbourne was two to nine. I have to point out that they dropped Sydney pretty badly as well, from third to eleventh. So, don't know what's gone wrong in Sydney. I haven't noticed anything. So Melbourne's still better than Sydney, and I'm, I'm a Sydney side. It gives me no pleasure to say that. All right, Jam, we'll catch you tomorrow. Annika's is about to join us as we look at the Wuhan lab theory.
A once controversial theory on the origins of COVID-19 now gaining ground. President Biden has ordered a review. Revealing that U.S. intelligence is currently split over two possible scenarios. Two agencies suspecting it came from human contact with an infected animal. Another leaning toward a laboratory accident. Many scientists favor a natural origin. So what you're hearing there is the media reporting from a big announcement from the U.S. President Joe Biden last month on the Wuhan lab theory. In a statement, Biden said that he'd asked the intelligence community to redouble their efforts to collect and analyse information that could bring us closer to a definitive conclusion and that he wants those agencies to report back to him in 90 days. And he's asked for that report because... In his statement, he said that the US intelligence community has coalesced around two likely scenarios, but hasn't been able to reach a definitive conclusion on the question of where the coronavirus started. Yeah, so he said that in the US intelligence community, there's two elements that support the natural scenario and one element that supports the lab theory. So this is a huge development because at the start of the pandemic, a lot of people dismissed the lab theory as a pure conspiracy. The Australian government's position and that of the World Health Organisation remains that there just isn't enough evidence at the moment to support the lab leak theory at this stage anyway. News Corp journalist Sherry Markson has written a book on the lab theory called What Really Happened in Wuhan, and it's due out in September. Yeah, her reporting's got a lot of attention, particularly in the US, from right-wing media outlets. She's been on Fox News and Steve Bannon's podcast, but her reporting has been criticised by other media outlets, and some of the findings have been disputed by health officials. Shari, thanks for joining us. You've probably written more articles on this theory than any other Australian journalist. What didn't sit right with you about the way the WHO and our government approach this theory? Look, I think from the very start, I was hearing from sources in intelligence and in our government that the virus potentially leaked from a laboratory. The more I looked into it, the more sense it made that this is a viable line of inquiry, that yes, of course it's possible the virus has a natural origin and made the natural jump from animals to humans like SARS back in 2003 did. But you also had this laboratory in the middle of Wuhan that had the world's largest collection of bat coronaviruses that had a really poor history of biosafety. French intelligence had been concerned about its links to Chinese bioweapons because the French government built this laboratory in conjunction with China, but then the moment it opened, they were kicked out. Then you had US officials who'd gone back in in 2018 and sent cables to Washington warning about the lack of trained technicians and the poor safety standards and the coronavirus research, the genetic manipulation that was going on there. So you had this strong history of concern uh, related to the laboratory. So it, it was clearly a, a legitimate line of inquiry. Australia is still saying it's there's no evidence. Now, that doesn't mean they don't believe it, but they're saying there's no sort of current evidence that backs up that. Why do you think that there's a shift and do you think we'll see that shift in Australia? There's no evidence that it made the natural jump from animals to humans, but there's mountains of evidence that it came from a laboratory. And that could still mean that it's a natural virus that the technicians had, or the, you know, the scientists had collected from a cave. That could still be a natural virus that they brought back to the lab to work on and it might have escaped. So it could still be a natural virus or it could be one that's a result of gain-of-function research. Australia wanted answers here. But even that benign standard call, you know, as we know, led to rolling trade tariffs 
and other retaliation. So I think Australia has to be extremely careful with what it says in public. But behind the scenes, you know, the, the view is very much that this was always a legitimate line of inquiry, that it came from a laboratory, and that's why Maurice Payne called that investigation. So there's a, a range of theories. Um, at one end of the spectrum is that it was deliberately manufactured in a lab and leaked as a bioweapon. Then you've got theories that it was an accidental leak or that it developed in nature and then came into the lab and then leaked through to what most researchers say is the most credible theory that it came from nature and crossed over to humans via the wet markets. What's your central thesis? (laughs) I just have to disagree with that. That's not the most central theory anymore. It's just not. There's no evidence that it crossed from nature to a wet market. The wet market actually was ruled out in the middle of 2020 by Chinese CDC officials, George Gao. He said that the wet market played a role in amplifying the virus but it wasn't the source of the virus. But the WHO so still, said it was their most central thesis that it was a, it came from nature. Yes, it, that it came from nature, but the most recent WHO report, again, did not point to the wet market. Um, but again, that WHO report was the, the people who were involved in doing that investigation have been working with China and with the Wuhan Institute of Virology for a long time. So every country, pretty much except for New Zealand, every country globally has said that that report was a whitewash and was inadequate. I think equally, while most researchers don't say it was natural and came from a wet market, at the other end of the spectrum, I haven't heard anyone with any legitimacy say it was deliberately released as a bioweapon. But there's enormous, overwhelming, compelling evidence that points to an incident at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. A lot of this goes to the timing of it. Um, Authorities around the world, including our government, were critical of China not giving enough information to the World Health Organization initially and how much they were able to learn about the virus. Do you think that right from the start, the way China handled this raised your sort of suspicions about the idea that this may have formed naturally and started in the market? I think a lot of people I've interviewed point to that, the cover-up, that it it was so excessive and so extreme over and above the cover-up of SARS initially in 2003. I mean, the cover-up of COVID-19 was, you know, any doctor who spoke out about it was either punished or has gone missing. Activists and journalists who went to Wuhan just to report on the hospitals that were in meltdown and, and, and the chaos and the situation at the crematoriums, they've gone missing as well or disappeared for a certain period of time, but but some of them have never been seen again. So you have this intense cover-up, not just of people, but of the information as well. So I think that this cover-up that still continues to extend to this day, they're still not allowing people in to properly investigate or to interview anyone at the laboratory without foreign ministry people watching over them. You know, the the cover-up is absolutely extensive. Yeah, I I totally get the point that there's a a massive problem with transparency here about how this started. But you said earlier that there's overwhelming evidence of an incident, um, that the virus came from an incident at the Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology. So what is that overwhelming evidence? Well, Well, that's something that's been the subject of my investigation for the past four months, and it's in my book, I'm not going to give it all away now, but but there is, you know, the things that have come to light already uh, include the three workers from the Wuhan Institute of Virology who were hospitalised in November 2019 mm-hmm. uh, in what officials suspect might be one of the earliest clusters of the pandemic. There's also that there was a, a mobile phone blackout 
for a period of up to two weeks at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and that indicates that there was a, a shutdown, so that an incident had occurred, and then there was, you know, a blackout because no one was in the facility. Presumably, there was some sort of mass sterilization or cleaning effort that was going on before people returned. Obviously, at that point, the outbreak had, you know, it wasn't able to be contained. We know how infectious COVID was. There was also the virus database. The Wuhan Institute of Virology's virus database was taken offline for the first time ever in September 2019, and it has never been re-uploaded. So there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that points to an incident unfolding at that facility. And then you also have the science question, which we haven't spoken about here yet, which is that a lot of scientists analysing SARS-CoV-2 say it does not look like a natural virus and there's elements in it that look like it's been genetically manipulated. Mm. I mean, it all sounds like evidence that this was possible, but not evidence that it definitely happened. There's no definitive evidence. That's why Biden has asked intelligence agencies to investigate because both scenarios are completely possible. Mm. You've heard, I'm sure, Nikolai Petrovsky from Flinders University in Australia. He says the virus looks like it was almost perfectly designed to infect humans. And this is the very research, by the way, that they were doing at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They were manipulating and slicing the spike protein. You know, that spike protein is how the virus becomes infectious to humans. And actually, there's so much evidence that points to this was an accidental lab leak, and there's not one piece of evidence that points to a, a natural virus. While it's still possible that it was, you know, a natural jump, there's nothing that points to that. I mean, the investigation into SARS took 15 years with um, a massive collaboration from a, a lot of scientists. So do you feel like you're going to be able to nail the answer in, in your book or will it, will it still be in the space of these are the reasons um, it might have happened in the lab? It's a very detailed and strong picture and I think it lays on the table, all of the evidence out there at the, at the moment. So it's a very intriguing story. That's Shari Markson, whose book's coming out in September, What Really Happened in Wuhan. I think she even acknowledged there, Annika, that there is a big gap between all of this evidence pointing to the ways that this incident in the lab might have happened and caused the coronavirus pandemic, but there's still a gap between that and presenting evidence that proves that it did happen. Yeah, I think she used the word circumstantial, which is, I guess, sums it up, doesn't it? There's a lot of evidence that could point towards one or the other. That's why the Australian government hold the position against what she does. And she made the point there that they have to be a little bit more careful, of course, because they've got diplomatic considerations. But it comes down to correlation and causation. And at the moment, they haven't been able to make these strong enough links. So whilst, as Shari said, this is a possibility, the, currently the officials such as World Health Organisation and the advice coming through to Australia is that there isn't enough evidence to actually prove that it did come from a lab and it was leaked. Tomorrow on The Briefing, the inside story of the Operation Ironside sting. Listener.